Hi, welcome to Harrison's Pod Class, where we discuss important concepts in internal medicine. I'm Kathy Handy. And I'm Charlie Weiner, and we're coming to you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to episode 95. Today we're talking about five patients with dyspnea. Hey, Kathy. Well, today we have another group of patients who need your help. All right, I'm ready. So I'm going to present to you five patients, all of whom present to the emergency department with acute dyspnea. And the discussion is going to be about D-dimer testing, because the D-dimer test is ordered for all of them. And let's first talk about the D-dimer test itself. Okay, so recall that to balance our thrombosis or coagulation cascades that lead to fibrin generation, there's a fibrinolysis cascade that is initiated by plasmin. The D-dimer is one of the fibrin degradation products and consists of two cross-linked fibrin fragments. It does not normally circulate in plasma, so its presence suggests that fibrinolysis is occurring somewhere in the body, although it's often clinically ineffective thrombolysis. The trouble with the test is that while it's very sensitive for thrombosis, it's really not specific. So the clinical context and the pretest probability are important when you're ordering and then also subsequently interpreting the test results. So when you say that it's sensitive but not specific, you mean that a negative D-dimer assay in a patient suspected of pulmonary embolism is helpful in that it has a strong negative predictive value, i.e. they don't have a PE, right? Right. A negative test helps rule out PE, but the positive test is far from diagnostic. And if the patient has a high suspicion of PE, they'll need a diagnostic test such as a PE protocol CT. So let's go into the patients now. Okay. So as I mentioned before, all of these patients are presenting to the emergency department with new acute onset dyspnea. The question is asking, in which of the following patients would a positive D-dimer be helpful in prompting additional imaging to diagnose pulmonary embolism or DVT? So the five patients are, patient A is a 24-year-old woman who is 32 weeks pregnant. Patient B is a 48-year-old man with no past medical history and presents with calf pain following prolonged air travel. His room air oxygen saturation is 96%. Patient C is a 56-year-old woman undergoing chemotherapy for breast cancer. Patient D is a 62-year-old man who underwent hip replacement surgery four weeks ago. Patient E is a 72-year-old man who had an acute myocardial infarction two weeks ago. And remember, all of these patients are presenting with acute onset dyspnea. And all of the patients that you mentioned have risk factors for PE. However, the only patient where D-dimer would be helpful is patient B. So that's the man with no past history uh, who has a strong story that would be suggestive of DVT-PE because of the air travel and then now presenting with focal calf pain. So he's the only one of those patients who is likely to have a negative D-dimer at baseline sort of before this presentation. So doing one now would be helpful. But wait, he has an oxygen saturation of 96%. Doesn't that rule out PE? Well, it's absolutely true that patients with acute PEs often have VQ mismatch and may present with hypoxemia. However, the more common abnormality is a respiratory alkalosis or hyperventilation. So they will very likely have a reduced arterial PCO2, and if we remember the alveolar gas equation, his alveolar oxygen will be increased with the reduced alveolar CO2. So his arterial oxygen could be normal. Now, the amount of VQ mismatch is variable, and a normal AA gradient may be present with the PE. Okay, so if the D-dimer is not elevated, he likely does not have a PE and does not require further additional testing? Correct. Okay, well tell me why the other patients are likely to have an elevated D-dimer at baseline such that additional testing for them is not useful. 
So in all the other scenarios, elevations in D-dimer could be related to other underlying medical conditions and provide no diagnostic information to really inform the clinician regarding the need for further evaluation. So some common clinical situations in which the D-dimer is elevated would include uh, sepsis, myocardial infarction, cancer, acute or chronic pneumonia, recent surgery or just being in the postoperative state, and the second and third trimesters of pregnancy. Okay, so regarding our patients, patient A is pregnant, patient C has breast cancer, patient D had recent surgery, and patient E had an MI or a thrombotic event within the past month. All of those folks would be expected to have an elevated D-dimer when they arrive at the ED with or without a PE, right? Right. So even if they don't have PEs, the likelihood of an elevated D-dimer is high. So what do you do with those patients then? Yeah, so if you have a patient with a suspected PE who has a high pretest probability of an elevated D-dimer, you'd need to perform a more specific diagnostic test for PE, such as a contrast chest CT or a lower extremity Doppler if you're looking for a DVT. Great. So the teaching point in this case is that in carefully selected outpatients with suspected pulmonary embolism, a D-dimer test may be useful in that a negative D-dimer can rule out pulmonary embolism in a patient who is not expected to have a pretest probability of a positive D-dimer. However, in that context, the test should not be used in patients with underlying diseases or underlying conditions that make it likely they have a baseline elevated D-dimer, which would be positive regardless of whether or not they have a new DVT or PE. And you can read more about this in Harrison's chapter on pulmonary embolism. This is Jim Shanahan, publisher at McGraw-Hill. Harrison's PodClass is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. Go to accessmedicine.com to learn more.